So Wednesday of last week, the end of an era. As a, um, Roger, Adam, sorry, a blank moment. How long have I known you? Only 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that's um, perhaps I'm getting older. Anyway, um, so end of an era. Billy Graham, the world-famous evangelist and preacher, died. Billy Graham was 99. Uh, it's interesting, the amount of people that have said to me, isn't it a shame that he didn't reach 100? I guarantee you Billy Graham couldn't care less at this precise moment. But anyway, bless him. A few years ago, Billy Graham spoke about his death. In fact, he's written books on it, I think, as well. And he, he said something. There's actually a paraphrase, which you've probably already heard, especially if you're on something like Facebook or Instagram or something like that. You've probably already seen it with a nice background photo. Uh, but he paraphrased something that Dwight Moody had said sometime before. And, uh, and if you don't know Dwight Moody, you really ought to look into his life. He was another, another amazing Christian. We need more moody Christians. Um, that was a joke, by the way. <laughs> Never mind. This is what Billy Graham said anyway. Uh, someday you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. I'll read that again because it's wonderful. Someday you will hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. I would have just changed my address. I would have gone into the presence of God. And as Christians, I don't think we speak like that enough. I don't think as Christians we speak about heaven nearly enough as we're supposed to. And it's quite a strange thing because heaven is our heritage. Heaven is our hope. It's the thing that we're supposed to be looking forward to. We're told actually that really we belong there rather than here, that we're passing through, we're strangers on earth, that we actually our citizenship is over there in heaven. And yet Christians don't often speak about heaven nearly enough. Billy Graham had absolutely no fear of age or death. Can you imagine that? He had a clear heavenly hope. So he wasn't bothered as the years went by. And that certainty of heaven transforms a person. As Christians, we're called to set our hope on heaven. And in the book of Hebrews, the writer of that book speaks of people who don't have the hope of heaven as speaking of people who are enslaved by the fear of death. It speaks of people who are enslaved to that fear of their mortality. But not so the child of God. We can, we should be, and we are totally fearless in the face of our mortality Not in a fatalistic way, we are going to die sometime, so who cares? But in a wonderful way. This life is like the blink of an eye, isn't it? It's so short, it's so brief, it's so fragile, yet so many people cling on to every second as if they can slow it down and pack in as much as they can. Yet, for those who trust Jesus Christ, every minute of that momentary life can be totally infused with excitement and the hope of everlasting life. The life I currently live is already eternal. I've already been given everlasting life. So this thing outside that you see, you have the privilege of looking at sometimes, it will one day look a bit worse, and then a lot worse, and then one day, that'll be the end of it. And it'll be put somewhere, won't it? Sorry, that's the wrong thing to have said. I didn't mean to be... Sorry, that was the wrong thing to have said. I apologise. Um, but me, my life, is already everlasting And it will go on and on and on and I will be given a brand new 
body. And we're thinking about heaven. And, uh, and as we uh, think of Christianity, there are two songs, two anthems, if you like, that seem to be sung and liked by every group of Christian. And that's something that doesn't happen very often, let's be honest. There are two songs that seem to sum up um, our hope of heaven. Amazing Grace and Matt Redman's 10,000 Reasons. And I know we sing it a lot in this church. That's my bad. Um, but I love it, sorry. Um, but and they both, what do they both speak of? They both speak of the longevity of paradise, the longevity of being in heaven forever and ever and ever, 10,000 years at the very least. Not even at the very least, that's just not even the beginning of the beginning because it goes on and on and on. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this topic of heaven and we've seen already that it's a real place, that heaven is a renewed earth, that God is going to make all things new, that heaven is something you can touch and feel and smell and taste, that it will engage our senses. We won't be a, a cloud somewhere with us with floaty bodies. We will have new bodies, perfect bodies in a perfect earth with God dwelling with us. Heaven is a renewed earth, heavens and earth. And it will be like Eden should have been yet forever. And into that new earth, God will come down. And his new Jerusalem, that perfect holy city, will be right in the middle of it. Beautiful, elaborate, sparkling in all its beauty. And we will have the eternal privilege of being alive and being able to walk and talk. And yes, even see the face of God. Even see the face of God. If that doesn't make your heart go a little bit faster, then you need to get praying more. And open your Bible more, because that is the most amazing thing to be promised, to see God's face. Wow. Hallelujah. We said in the second week that heaven is beautiful. We talked of paradise and its beauty and the creativity and the beauty of how God puts it together, how even the foundations of this new Jerusalem will be encrusted with jewels and diamonds and all sorts of things. And someone said to me, that reminded me this week, that every single human being is creative. Sometimes they just don't know it. And I want to challenge God's people again to be creative in all you do, to be doctrinally correct and on the money, absolutely, but to deliver the truth with creativity and flair and colour, and it will be wonderful. And so this morning we're going to carry on looking at heaven. Murray's already read for us the the verses from Revelation 21. So let me tell you a joke. Uh, I shouldn't have ruined it, but it would have been obvious. But there were two older men, Abe and Saul, Abe and Saul used to meet and sit on a park bench and feed the pigeons and discuss baseball. They were American, of course. Um, And as they sat there, Abe turned to Saul one day and said, Do you think there's baseball in heaven? Saul thought thought to himself for a moment and replied, I don't know, but let's make a deal. If I die first, I'll come back and I'll tell you if there's baseball in heaven. And if you die first, you do the same. So they shook on it, of course. Uh, That makes it a binding agreement. Sadly, a few months later, poor old Abe passed on. He died. Soon afterwards, Saul was back in the park feeding the pigeons on the bench on his own. And then he heard a small whispering voice. Saul, Saul. Saul responded, Abe, is that you? Yes, it is Saul, whispered Abe's ghost. I don't believe in ghosts, by the way, just so you know, to be clear. Um, Saul, still amazed, asked, so, is there baseball in heaven? Well, said Abe. I've got good news and bad news. He said, give me the good news first, Saul said. And Abe says, well, there is baseball in heaven. And Saul says, this is great. What news could possibly be bad enough to ruin that? And Abe sighs and whispers to him, 
you're pitching on Friday. Yeah, thank you. It's a very long joke. No, you're good. And often when we think about heaven, there seem to be two things that get in the way of our excitement of it. Because we should be unbelievably excited. Whenever I go on holiday, in fact, when I was a kid, it hasn't really changed. But when I was a child, my mum stopped telling me we were doing things. So I spent most of my childhood wondering what was happening from day to day. Because if we, if we were going to visit my nan and granddad's, I was unbearable for at least three weeks. That's not an exaggeration. If we went camping, I'd be sort of, yeah! And in the end, my mum stopped telling me anything. Because, and, and I wake up and she'd say, we're going away for a week. And I think, what? Anyway, and we should be the same with heaven. Shouldn't we? we should be unbelievably excited that we're going to get to be in this beautiful, perfect place forever and ever and ever. Yet we don't really think about it. And I think there are two things that seem to get in the way. One, we're slightly concerned when we might go, which is understandable, I guess. And we're quite concerned what's going to be there when we get there. We talked in week one how one of the myths of heaven is it will be dull. It will not be boring. But we worry about that. Will there be football? I've got a bad angle. I haven't played football for about three or four years. And I'm thinking, Lord, if it's possible, just for one game in my first week. And I won't mention it. But we want to know, is there football? Can I fly? Well, I better do this. I better scale Everest. We don't know. What will be there? Who knows? Chapter 21 of Revelation that Murray read to us is filled not with apprehension at going, but actually excitement. And as you read through it, it makes us want to be there. I want to be in the place John describes in Revelation 21. And it reminds us as well as a chapter that it won't be great heaven because of what's there. It will be great because of what's not there. But we'll come on to that in a moment. And it's a really interesting chapter. And it's interesting the way chapter 20 sweeps into chapter 21. We haven't got time to go through chapter 20. But chapter 20 is overwhelming. It's overwhelming in what it talks about. Chapter 20 talks about the judgment of humanity. It talks about the devil and his destruction. It talks of final battles, fires, beasts, lakes of fiery sulfur. And as you read through chapter 20, you kind of feel a bit overwhelmed. It's tense. You feel the tension rising as you go through chapter 20. And that tension builds and builds and builds. And then you hit chapter 21. And in just a blink of an eye, all that tension evaporates. And the tone suddenly changes. It's a bit like when you're on an aeroplane. You know how I love that. And as you sit on an aeroplane, you go through um, turbulence, that's it. And, you know, and everything's going in front of you like that. And you think, hang on, try not to cry in front of the children and things like that. And as you go through turbulence and everything's sort of doing this. And the seatbelt signs on and the stewards, uh, stewardesses and stewards are sitting down. Sorry, flight attendants are sitting down, strapped in. You think if they're worried... I should be worried. And it does this and for ages and you think, oh, oh, I've broken the thing. <laughs> that's not part of it. But you see my point though, how terrible turbulence is. If that's what it does for a lectern, think how bad an aeroplane must be. Anyway, and then suddenly it just stops. Because you come out of that rough air into that smooth air and everything is just calm and you hear the most wonderful sound in all of humanity. And you can take your seat. Well, I don't take my seatbelt off because I've saved more lives than I can count by keeping myself strapped in because if I relax too much, the plane will crash. Anyway, and it's like that as we go from chapter 20 into chapter 21. Suddenly it just calms. All that tension that builds and builds and builds evaporates with one word, then. John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any 
see. How wonderful. What a wonderful change in tone. He goes on to say, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people And God himself will be with them and be their God. This is why heaven should be talked about. This is why it is the hope of God's people. Because the climax for God's people isn't the fiery lake of sulfur or the fear of judgment. But the beautiful, calm, still reality of seeing God face to face. After the end comes the new for the people of God. After the end comes the new and in those three verses that I've just read that newness is emphasized over and over and over three times the word new is used what we have here what heaven is is a new world a new city a new reality and in Greek there are two words for the word new in English we've got one but the Greeks like to have more words than the rest of us and they have two words for the word new and both have slightly different meanings you can talk in Greek of something that is new as in it's new as in it's like Monday morning new. So you've always had lots of Monday mornings, sadly. And uh, but Monday morning, every Monday morning is new in time, isn't it? It's a new day. But it's the same old Monday, isn't it? Some of you are already depressed because I've mentioned the M word. But it's new as in it's another new day. But there's another Greek word, sorry Tim, another Greek word um, that is actually about quality. New in terms of quality, freshness, untouched. It's that word that John is using when he describes the new heavens and the new earth. Not new as in it's just another Monday type new, but this is brand new. This is quality. This is untouched. This is fresh. This is what Jesus has been preparing for his people since John chapter 14. A fresh world. The old world has been wrapped up with its old problems, with its old realities, with its darkness and its evil and its uncertainty, and it's been chucked away, and God has made a brand new world untouched where everything is brand new and how many people in this church this morning are currently flying through turbulence how many of you can't see a way out how many of you don't know what's going to happen next and the sad truth is turbulence may persist until the very end and we're not honest enough as Christians are we because sometimes we want desperately to say it'll be all right all the time sometimes it isn't Sometimes people go through terrible things that dog them until the end of their time on this earth. And I hate that. It breaks our hearts, Christians, because we want to just say, it'll be all right. And sometimes we can't say that. But what we can say is like an expert pilot flying through turbulence. Jesus Christ will take you somewhere calmer. It will be either in this life or the next. And the good news this morning is that this life is like a blink of an eye. And I promise you, on my life, that when you have been in heaven for one minute, you will forget this in a heartbeat. This will be like a dream you woke up and you couldn't quite remember. It is like hell now, and I understand that. And everyone understands that. But such is the inheritance of God's people, that within a second of entering those gates in that new Jerusalem, this will be something... We can barely put our finger on that it happened. So even if your turbulence lasts to the very end of your life, that doesn't mean God has abandoned you. It doesn't mean there isn't any hope. It doesn't mean that there isn't any calm. Put your eyes on what is above. Think 
of what will come, because it will come. Jesus will take you home, and it will be good. Your final word is not that tense darkness of chapter 20. It will be the calm of chapter 21. But this vision is not done. In verse 3, we are told that God will be with us. Look, the dwelling place of God is now among his people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. This vision is not done because we're told that God is going to be with us, that God is going to be our God, we're going to be his people. And then the next couple of verses, verses 4 to 7, John unfolds beautifully, dynamically, how this new reality of this new intimacy of God is going to be felt. And he says in verse 4 that God, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who is seated on the throne said i'm making everything new he said write this down for these words are trustworthy and true he said to me that's john it is done done finished gone i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end to the thirsty i give water without cost from the spring of the water of life those who are victorious will inherit all this and i will be their god and they will be my children we get obsessed don't we with that hope of what will be in heaven but this passage is wonderful because of what will not be in heaven just like that baseball joke in heaven there will be no more tears there will be no death there will be no mourning there will be no crying there will be no pain across this year i've attended and led quite a few funerals to be a slight understatement And to have watched tears roll down the faces of loved ones and people that I've knew to meet as they say goodbye to people they care so passionately about. To live in a reality where no one will ever feel like that again is wonderful. And I long for it and I can't wait for it and I look forward to it. Death is connected to sin, we know from Genesis 3. And Christ has died for the sin of the world. And those who trust in Jesus Christ have nothing to fear in death. Sin is no more. And so in heaven, death is no more. And as if heaven couldn't get any better, it does. Because as God takes us from this old order of things into the new world, he changes us in the most intimate, wonderful way. Verse 4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And again, in Greek, that word from, every tear from their eyes, that word in Greek is actually a most wonderful word ever because it refers to the total destruction of a union between two things. And so as you enter heaven, in my mind at the very least, God just does this to every single one of us. This is my interpretation. But God will just do that only once. And in doing that most intimate act, He is destroying the union between your eyes and your tears, never to be joined again, because there will never be anything worth crying over. Tears will be no longer possible in heaven, because the union between our pain and our suffering is destroyed once forever. Verse 6 God says it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It reminds us of the cross, doesn't it? On the cross, as Jesus broke the power of sin and death, he shouted out, it is finished. 
And since then, God's people have been made holy. I'm holy in the sight of God, but God is slowly chipping away my sin. He is slowly making us more like his son, Jesus. We're being sanctified. The word means to be made holy. He's making his people holy. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 4, we read that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it on the day, until the day of Christ Jesus when we enter heaven, that process of being made like Jesus will finally be complete forever, once and for all. As we enter that world, that process is finished and we will enjoy an eternity of refreshment and fullness. This is the eternal bliss of the believer, that we live in an eternity that is free. It will be an eternity free from hurt, free from pain, free from loneliness, free from death, free from struggle, free from doubt, free from mental health problems, free from self-loathing, free from cancer, free from hate, free from weakness, free from regret, free from guilt, free from self-harm, free from depression, free from danger, free from addiction, free from missed opportunities. It will be free from the daily temptation to sin, free from the daily uh, constant barrage of Satan's attempt to kill, steal, and destroy. Thank you, Jesus. However, it's not just a picture of bliss without a picture of challenge in case we develop a siege mentality, an I'm all right, Jack spirituality. Because verse 8 is so often ignored. And verse 8 reminds us that not everybody will be there with us. Those who choose to reject Jesus will get what they want for eternity. Heaven is to be our hope, but not our excuse to hide from the world. It's meant to inspire us to tell everybody there is a way out. There is a life raft, a hope that goes beyond the grave, that all are welcome in Jesus' new kingdom. So I want to play you a song. Not from me, Matt Redman. He's written a new song about heaven. And uh, it's kind of long, but that's okay. Um, But perhaps we could just play it. Um, And then just as this song plays, just think about all that's been said these last few weeks. Think about pictures, if you're more visual. Just think about heaven. Think about where your hope is at this precise moment and you need to put more of it over there and not as much here.